Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Enriching Care for Pediatric Atopic Dermatitis, Evidence-Based Strategies for Integrating Targeted Systemic Therapies. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Hi, I'm Peter Leo from Medical Dermatology Associates of Chicago and the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Today we're going to explore appropriate use of systemic therapies in our pediatric patients with atopic dermatitis. Let's start with a brief case vignette. This is Rafa. He's a 12-year-old boy. He's been diagnosed with atopic dermatitis, and it's most severe on his elbows, knees, and neck. He's previously been on a host of different treatments, including hydrocortisone, triamcinolone, and most recently, mometasone. He and his father present with a return of these symptoms, even after being really adherent to the mometasone for almost three months. He's complaining of constant itch, and now it's even starting to disturb his sleep, and they're wondering if there's anything new that we can try. Of course, before we can talk about treatment formulation, we need to think about how to assess the severity of the disease and the disease control. There are a number of important considerations when we're thinking about assessing disease severity for atopic dermatitis. It's not just how it looks that day, although that's certainly part of it. We wanna get a sense of the extent of the body surface area affected. We wanna get a sense of the lesions and their appearance. Are they open and oozy? Are they crusted? Is it more lichenified and leathery? We also understand that darker skin types can see things that are a little bit different than in lighter types, and it can actually mask severity and even mask infections. The itch intensity is important to assess for, as well as the sleep disturbance. Comorbid diseases, both atopic and non-atopic, are also part of the whole story. And finally, the mental health impact, not only on the patient, but also the whole family unit. One of my favorite tools is the Atopic Dermatitis Control Tool, or ADCT. I love it because it's been validated, it's very, very quick, less than a minute to do, and it's easy to score and easy to understand for the patients. It was developed through a series of interviews with physicians and patients, and I love the fact that you can do it either live or even before seeing the patient. They can actually do it themselves because it's really just six questions, but it encompasses so many things. It captures the severity of the symptoms, the frequency of itch, the extent of the body bothersomeness of the atopic dermatitis, the sleep impact, and also, of course, the impact on activities of daily life and on mood and emotions. So all of these pieces can come together in six quick questions under a minute long and give you a single score that then you can actually follow up on. So a lot of times if patients are hemming and hawing and worried about their actual score, I'll say, well, that's important, but what I really like it for is to see over time how we're doing. And what I'm looking for, obviously, are trends to show that what we're doing is making a difference. Fundamentally, I love the idea that this is not really a severity questionnaire. It's really talking about control because ultimately that's what I'm interested in. I mean, the severity is key, but it doesn't matter where you start. I really want you to get under control. So no matter if you're the worst of the worst or just a little bit uncomfortable, at the end of the day, those goals are the same. And that's really what this tool is excellent, excellent at capturing. It is scored very easily on either the paper sheet or it can be done on a website that actually does all the hard work for you. You just click and it gives you that number. And what we're looking for really is a score that is under seven. So that's really an important threshold, but most importantly, I think, is looking for those trends over time. Obviously, if somebody's going the wrong direction, we know we really need to, to take stock and figure out what we're doing in reverse course right away. 
In conclusion, all clinicians who treat atopic dermatitis should have their go-to approach to assessment, and that can involve standardized tool that is utilized across visits. Next, let's discuss considerations for our 12-year-old patient, Rafa. In this session, we'll review atopic dermatitis systemic treatment options for pediatric patients and considerations for treatment planning. Let's take a look at our ADCT score from Rafa. We can see here that the score about three months ago was nine, sort of just out of the range we want it to be. Our goal is to be under seven, but today it's a bit worse. Today we're looking at a score of 13, and I would definitely say this is out of control. We can see in particular that there are a number of areas that are simply unacceptable. In particular, I'm always looking at sleep, and that's one that gets a special dispensation on this form. If the sleep is not going well, that sort of automatically is a sign that things are not under control. I think that there are a number of different possibilities here, and the truth is that this is gonna be a shared decision-making process, so there's certainly no right answer. But let's talk a little bit about how I might approach it. So after we've confirmed the diagnosis of atopic dermatitis, we can consider systemic therapy in patients with moderate or severe atopic dermatitis who are symptomatic despite an adequate trial of topical therapy, who are avoiding their known triggers, and that would include things like contact allergens, sometimes even in the creams we're giving them, and of course for those patients that are having an impact on quality of life. I'm happy to say that we have a number of new treatment options that are available, and in particular for pediatric patients, something that we didn't have as recently as five or 10 years ago. We have dupilumab, a biologic agent that binds to the IL-4 receptor alpha and thus blocks IL-4 and IL-13 signaling, and that's actually approved down to six months of age, which is really exciting. We have two newer oral agents, upadacitinib and abracitinib. These are both once daily oral JAK inhibitors, and these are improved down to age 12 years and older. Then we have trelokinumab, which is currently approved in 18 years of age and older, but it's similar to dupilumab in that it interferes with IL-13, and another agent, lebrachizumab, that's still in development, not quite FDA approved. We also have some old standbys. This would include phototherapy that I still use quite a bit in my practice, and some of the historic systemic immunosuppressant agents like cyclosporin, methotrexate, mycophenolate, and azathioprine. All of these have been used certainly and still can be used in the right situation, but I think we've put them a little bit lower down the list because we now have agents that are truly approved for our pediatric patients. When I enter into this discussion, there are a number of factors we have to consider. So I use this mnemonic EAST, and that stands for efficacy, accessibility, safety, and tolerability, to make sure I hit all of those points with the patient and their family. Efficacy is not just how well the treatment's gonna work, but also how fast it might get them there. Accessibility is more than just the cost or the possibility of insurance coverage, but it really includes being able to actually do it. In particular, things like phototherapy are often inaccessible due to distance or time. Safety is very important, particularly with these systemic agents, and we have to think about monitoring for these as well. And finally, tolerability often gets lumped in with safety, but it is different. We have to make sure the patient's gonna be okay with some of the potentially uncomfortable or irritating aspects of these treatments. So that was a review of things we should consider and discuss with patients and families before we start systemic treatment. Next, let's take a look at some of the data of these therapies in the pediatric population. So let's talk about the effectiveness of these therapies in the pediatric population. Let's review some of the recent data. We talked about Rafa, our 12-year-old with atopic dermatitis, who despite good topical therapy is really not under good control. 
we have three FDA-approved options to consider for him. Dupilumab, which is approved down to six months of age, Upadacitinib, which is approved from 12 years of age and older, and Abracitinib, also 12 years of age and older. These are the three approved options, and of course we have some of the other treatment modalities we referred to before, phototherapy and the kind of historic immunosuppressant medications, but I think this is a great place to start. Of course, the truth is that all of these concerns are valid and can play a role in every single case. There might be one that's more common than others, but we really need to consider all of these together. Let's take a look at some of the evidence. So let's talk about some of the efficacy data in our pediatric population, and we'll start with dupilumab. Initially, it was approved in adults, 18 years of age and older, and then not too long after, we had the adolescent data from 12 to 17 years of age. And there were a number of primary and secondary outcomes that we can look at, but here we're looking at that investigator global assessment getting to zero or one, that clear or almost clear endpoint. And I'm happy to say it was comparable to what we see in adults, both in terms of the speed and the duration of that effect. Similarly, in kids age six to 11 years of age, we can see a very similar curve, fairly rapid, getting to that point of clear, almost clear, and then a sustained curve over time. In the youngest patients, less than six years of age, all the way down to six months, I'm happy to say, again, it was comparable, both in terms of that efficacy speed and the durability. When we look at our oral agents, upadacitinib first, ages 12 to 17 years of age, again, I'm happy to say we see a very quick improvement getting to that zero or one in the investigator global assessment, and again, a nice durable response that we can see over time. This was very similar to what was seen in abracitinib, and in fact, both of these agents have been studied with dupilumab as a comparator, and we really can see that the oral agents seem to work a little bit quicker. They're able to hit those endpoints a little faster than dupilumab, but ultimately, they're all very effective compared to the placebo groups. The novel systemic therapies approved for use in pediatric patients have proven to be effective, including in patients as young as six months for dupilumab. But what about safety? Let's discuss that in the next session. So now let's review safety considerations for treatment of more severe atopic dermatitis in children. Let's go back to Rafa, our 12-year-old, with this refractory, moderate to severe atopic dermatitis the parents are really concerned about the potential side effects of one of these systemic treatments, especially when they're comparing them to what we talked about in the past for topical therapy. The parents are especially worried about how long he might have to be taking these systemic therapies. They're asking the question, is this going to be forever? So let's look at some of the safety data in pediatric patients for dupilumab. I'm happy to say that overall, the side effect profile is pretty favorable, and it's quite comparable to what we saw in the adult age group. For adolescents, for children six to 11 years of age, and even for our very young patients, six months to six years of age, we have a pretty consistent, favorable profile. Some of the key things to call out would be the conjunctivitis and keratitis, particularly in the older groups, and then the rare but real potential to be allergic to the medicine, as well as some rarer side effects, such as arthralgias. When we think about the conjunctivitis in particular, although most patients are able to treat through it, this is, in my practice, one of the most common reasons I've actually had to stop dupilumab, but I'm happy to say we've come up with a number of different approaches, and there are several papers out there that can help guide us through it. And again, most patients are able to continue on. When we think about our JAK inhibitors, it's a little bit different because the safety here is kicked up a notch, if you will. We know that in both 
adults and adolescents, their similar safety profile. And the biggest issue that we see in terms of the tolerability is the signal for acne. Acne does seem to be a little bit more common in patients who are on the JAK inhibitors than the control group. And of course, this can be a tolerability issue for many patients. The good news is it seems that we can treat it pretty much as we would conventional acne vulgaris, and most of the patients are able to treat right through comfortably. In fact, in my own practice, I haven't had to stop these medications because of acne yet. The safety issues are a little more serious around JAK inhibitors, and these include the black box warning. Importantly, these are based on a study that was with another JAK inhibitor, tofacitinib in another disease state, rheumatoid arthritis. So it makes it a little bit trickier to counsel, but we do have to make sure our patients understand them and we wanna make sure we go over them. These include serious infection, major adverse cardiovascular event, an increased risk of death, thrombosis, and malignancy. And while they're off-putting, I really think that for the right patient, if we talk about it appropriately, most patients can see that the benefits greatly outweigh the potential risks. A recent publication put a lot of this information together in a very clever infographic. Dr. Bunick is the senior author here, and I love the idea that it shows us the relatively low background rates in patients with atopic dermatitis and shows us that those numbers aren't very different for patients who are taking an oral JAK inhibitor. I think this can help put it in perspective. While these are real safety risks and we never want to minimize them, I think that the relative chance of them happening is quite low, and this has been supported by a number of different studies. Our challenge as clinicians is not to scare the patients off off, but to make sure that they're well-informed so that it truly can be an informed, shared decision-making process. There are some lab monitoring guidelines that we can follow when we're using the JAK inhibitors for both baseline, annually, and then intermittently. For my practice, usually every three to four months, depending on how the patients are doing. And we've outlined some of those here. In conclusion, there are some safety concerns with these systemic therapies, but in general, they've been found to be relatively safe and serious adverse events are fortunately rare. Now let's discuss long-term management of pediatric atopic dermatitis. Let's wrap up the program with a few thoughts about how to manage pediatric atopic dermatitis over the long-term. So thinking about Rafa, our 12-year-old with that moderate to severe atopic dermatitis, he had done his best on topicals but didn't get quite to where we wanted him to be, was started on a systemic therapy. And that brings up a few questions. Should we continue the topicals? Do we need to make other lifestyle modifications? And when should we follow up? These are things we really wanna talk about at that visit. And so I'll turn it over to you. For me, I'm always trying to keep up their topical therapies. Sometimes I'll make a, a little change or a tweak because I'm thinking about this condition as a long-term disease. I wanna make sure that we're supporting them in every way possible. And of course, we know that some patients actually do get better over time and some actually seem to grow out of the condition completely. Many of them do not. And I have a number of patients and families who are frustrated because they've been told to simply wait, but months or years have gone by and the disease still rages. So I think it's very important to treat it when we see it. And we also have to understand that some patients, not only will they not outgrow it in childhood, some patients can develop it in adolescent or adulthood. The good news is that for some of these therapies we've talked about, we now have longer term data, not just 12 or 16 weeks. We can actually see over many weeks and many months. The good news is that we see sustained efficacy and safety for most of these agents, which is really exciting. This is true for dupilumab and for our oral JAK inhibitors. We see a nice durability over many weeks. 
One of the most important things I think for patients and families is thinking about when we could potentially taper or discontinue systemic therapy. Saying forever can be a concern and can be very off-putting. So one of the things I like to talk about is the idea that we're gonna to try to get them better for quite some time, and then we may be able to, in particular with topical therapies used alongside of our systemics, either decrease the dose or potentially even discontinue therapies. Decreasing the frequency of injections of dupilumab has been looked at, as well as decreasing the dose of different types of systemic agents, including things like weekend dosing for some of the, the older legacy agents has been studied as well. I hope you've enjoyed this focused review of newer systemic options available to treat more severe atopic dermatitis in the pediatric population. It's wonderful that we have a range of options that can provide significant relief to our youngest patients who can greatly suffer with their symptoms at times. As the treat-to-target goals for atopic dermatitis continues to be raised, we're in an exciting time of new and more powerful tools to help get our patients to therapeutic success. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.